Galatians chapter four tonight, um, and we're gonna we're gonna be picking up. Oh, we're gonna pick up in, in verse three, and we're gonna skim through the things that we looked at last week just to kind of catch everybody up, and then we'll we'll plow on from there. Um, but before we get started, Dad, do you want to open us in prayer tonight? Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 4. We looked at this thing about being uh, under the bondage of the elements of this world. And again, touching on that thing, it doesn't say the elements of the earth. There are two main definitions of that word elements. And it's the first one would be more akin to be uh, if it was speaking of the earth. It's, it's the base materials that something is made out of. Okay. Uh, the elements of that thing. Uh, but it says it's the elements of the world. So you're looking at that as being a little bit more than just what the world is made out of, knowing that the world is different than the earth and that the earth is what we're standing on. It's the dirt. It's this ball of rock that's floating through the universe. Okay, The world itself is speaking to the system of people in it. All right, uh, The different worlds that are spoken of, uh, You know, we think of the world, the system that's on this earth, then we think of the world to come. That is a, a that speaking of that kingdom, speaking of that uh, system that is going to be established on the new heaven and the new earth. We think of the world uh, as far as the world in the uh, of the spiritual sense, as far as uh, the angelic beings go and on, on the spiritual realm. <clears throat> and so when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of of the world, and this is this is applying more to those atmospheric agencies and powers. Okay, right around 1550, it's when that that was used in that way uh, to describe the the atmospheric agencies and powers. Okay, um, when we think of that, we're going to be looking at this. We, we delved into that in in some depth. Um, so if you if you did miss last week, you know, uh, and you're working your way through, uh, just listen on through all of that that we covered. But Paul then goes on into this thing about when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And again, we look at that thing is that Paul has shifted from referring to Jew and Gentile to just a blanket statement of them that were under the law, all of mankind. And that was Paul's gospel. That's what he did. It didn't matter where he went. He was putting those people under the law. Uh, when he went into Athens, he began preaching to them, dealing with God being their creator, and then dealing specifically with them making idols. And so he put them under the law, that second commandment. Uh, and so in those things, uh, it's, it's to the end that the whole world uh, may become guilty before God, that every mouth would be stopped, as we looked at in Romans. And so he continues on there, and he says, to redeem that were them that were under the law, that we might re receive the adoption of sons. And what he's doing now is he is transitioning to this thing of us being heirs. Later on when we get into this, we're going to see about, we're going to drop back into chapter 3, looking at uh, heirs of the promise and, and all of that. But coming around into this thing of, of these, uh, uh, the elements of the world, we look at that thing as being more akin to those, those agencies and powers in this earth, in the world. You think about, 
Every 28 days, we mentioned this last week, every 28 days, a woman has a cycle in her body. Okay, And that is patterned after that 28-day cycle of the moon. Every 28 days, there's a new moon. Okay, And so we also touched on that thing of those who are what's called lunatic. All right, We looked at that man whose son was lunatic, literally under the control of the moon. And you see that those that have dealt with, um, you know, old folks' homes, those that have dealt with emergency rooms, uh, that type of situation, um, maybe even in, in special ed classes, depending on the cycle of the moon, it greatly affects the psyche of the person, okay? And so with that, that is part of that, that moon smiting them by night. We looked at that thing wherein um, that, that promise was that, you know, once... Uh, the truth has come once you're born of God. Basically, it's the Old Testament, so but it's speaking to that time coming, uh, that liberty in Christ. Um, that the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Okay, and so that moon will no longer have that control over you. Now, a woman's natural cycle—that that's right along in the time of life and everything. Okay, but that that power that it had over you at one point—that um, it's speaking of that liberty that you have in Christ. That you're not under those elements anymore. Now, applying it in the Gentile realm, they worshipped those things. They worshipped the sun, they worshipped the moon, they worshipped the stars, they worshipped the different constellations, they worshipped all of these things. All right? And so in that, they saw the power that was involved in that. You, you look at people that uh, you know, study the zodiac and they'll look at their horoscope and such, and you'll find people who are absolutely adamant that that thing is accurate to their life. And it'll tell them exactly what's going to happen for that day or whatever, and sure enough, that stuff happens. There is a power to that. It is nothing to be compared with the power of God, but there is a great power to that, and many are brought under bondage of that. And what Paul is now going to do is he's going to liken that bondage of those Gentiles under the powers of those atmospheric agencies, he's going to liken that to the law. Because what's going on, remember that in Galatia, there is these Judaizers who are coming in, these ones who would come in and say, hey, you need to be circumcised or else you're not born of God. It's like the same thing, you know, that we've, we've talked about before. There's two ways that you can doubt your salvation. One is by bad doctrine. Somebody coming in and telling you, you cannot be saved. There's no possible way you can be saved. Why? Because you're not circumcised. That's bad doctrine. The other way you can doubt your salvation is good doctrine. And that's where doctrine is preached clearly and concisely, and the Word of God brings that, and the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you are not a child of God. And then that thing wherein you were standing, you had that confidence in that thing, you knew that you were born of God, I remember praying that prayer, I remember there were some things that changed, I look back to that point in life, and whenever I doubt my salvation, I remember, no, I did that back then. Talk to so many people in town that say, you know, when we talk to them about the Lord, oh yeah, I did that back when I was a kid. But they're nowhere near the house of God. There's not even a stitch of the Spirit of God evidenced in their life. They have no evidence of the new birth. There's nothing that has changed. And it's been 20 years. That person's not born of God. When the Spirit of God takes up residence in you, when you get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the three of the Godhead in you, there is going to be a change. There's going to be a desire to be in the house of God, a desire to be under the preaching of the word of God. There's going to be a desire to, to uh, be fellowshipping and to be put under the authority of the word of God. That's what comes with the new birth. It's a complete change of who you are. 
All right. And so with those things, good doctrine can bring doubt into your life. That Holy Ghost, that comforter, Jesus spoke of in John 14 and John 16. He speaks to that thing that when uh, the comforter, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged, I think is how that's said. And in that thing, that reproving, what is reproof? What is it when somebody reproves you? Well, it's different than a rebuke. Okay? You're not to rebuke an elder, but you can reprove an elder. And a reproving is coming to somebody and proving to them that they are wrong. Having concrete proof that they are wrong, they have reproved you. They've come up against what you have constructed as a vanity in your mind, as a conceit in your mind, and they have taken the word of God and they've proved to you, no, you were wrong in this. Now, when you're approaching an elder and you're going to reprove an elder, you ought to do it with all sincerity, with all gravity, with all honor for that person. But to rebuke is completely different. To rebuke is to cuff somebody upside the head and say, you're being a fool, knock it off. God rebukes us many, many times. Okay? He rebukes us greatly. And, so that, and, that's, and that's his love. That's his love being shown to us, okay? that he would do that. He would correct us in those things. But in that, the Holy Ghost's job is to prove to you either that you're saved or that you're lost. That's what his job is. That's what he's going to do. And we talk about people doubting their salvation. Looking back at that thing, my wife never doubted her salvation, not one time. Never doubted at all that that was, you know, what took place there, that, you know, there was that. Why? Because she had bad doctrine. She had doctrine that had been taken based in the Word of God, but then constructed outside of the Word of God. And she was basing her salvation on that. I was in the same boat, except I doubted my salvation almost continually. But God was good enough to show her that she was lost. And then shortly thereafter, he saved her. She was not in the lost state very long. He proved to her that she was lost. She realized that she was lost. Realized that she did not have Christ. Realized that it was entirely upon Christ. And he gave her that saving faith. It was, it was about that quick. And so, you know, it, but it's different for everyone. And I heard a great analogy the other day. Where did we hear that? Somebody was telling us about the blind person being healed. Who was that? Maybe. I, I can't remember. But you look at, and maybe, maybe you folks from Black Creek have heard this. I can't remember where I heard it. But this is really great. Brother Black, okay, talking about a blind person, you look at the different times when Jesus healed a blind person. He never did it the same way twice. He never used the same pattern. He never used the same form. He didn't use the same formula. What he did in the one time was he anointed the eyes. What he did in the other one was he told them to do this and, and then came back and they said, I see, you know, men as trees walking. And, and then, you know, it, it was different. It looked different from every one. But the outcome was the same. The blind person received their sight. They were able to see. The person that did the miracle was the same. It was Jesus Christ and him alone. But he did it differently in each and every person. But he did it within the bounds of Scripture. He did it within the bounds of the Word of God. He did it proving the Word of God. And so 
Each and every salvation experience is going to be different. Were you not given sight when you were born of God? Were you not given spiritual eyes to see things? And do you not see things differently in the word of God since you've been born of God? You, you see things with more clarity. You hear things with more clarity. There's more understanding. There, there, there is understanding. Okay, But yet, what Christendom has done, and I believe it started, it didn't start with Charles Finney. It started with Satan. But Charles Finney really propagated it in that second great awakening in this whole... Uh, decisional regeneration. I love that term. Decisional. Have you made a decision for Christ? If you've made a decision for Christ, then you're for sure born of God. That's what Charles Finney was really pushing and would work up this great atmosphere at his big uh, rallies and meetings and get everybody worked up with the music and get everybody, you know, with the hymns and, and get this religious fervor going. And then he'd preach very emotionally, very powerfully. He was very charismatic in his personality and not necessarily doctrinally, but in his personality, he was a very charismatic person. And he would bring the crowd up on a big high and then, bam, slide them gently into an altar call. And he would bring the slow, soft music in, and he would have these altar calls, and people would come off of an emotional response by the thousands. And he would claim so many thousands of people saved at his meetings. All the while, the churches never changed. The towns never changed. Nobody, marriages weren't restored. The, the alcohol and the houses of prostitution, all of those were still in full swing. And later in life, he even had gone back to the cities wherein he had held these big, great uh, crusades and such, and he lamented over the fact that there was no change in those cities at all. Nothing had happened. And modern-day Christendom has been based off of Charles Finney's methods. As long as you can get somebody to pray a prayer, then they're saved. That's the proof for a lot of people. Hey, you know, these, these, these four children up here at the altar, they prayed with me that Jesus would come into their heart. So, bam, they're absolutely saved. Let's get them baptized and, and you know, start them into discipleship. And, and then they wonder when they turn teenagers why they're off in the world and don't want anything to do with God. It's because they're not saved. They did what you told them to do. A child understands cause and effect. A child can understand a saving faith. But today, in today's America, it is extremely rare. It's extremely rare. But even in our, our modern-day uh, church services, the pattern that we have for our church services, our, our hymns in the beginning, and, and then you know, going through all of the, the motions of that, and then having the preaching, having an altar call at the end, and then a closing hymn, all of that is based off of Charles Finney's crusades that he did. Even just the structure of the hour service, it's based off of that. It's all carnal. And, you know, I just, I, I just think of the times when God has been pleased to meet with us. It's when we really broke out of that. You know, I'm not saying you have chaos and disorder in your service and, and all of this, but good night. You cannot schedule the Holy Ghost. You don't tell him to show up at 11 and leave at 12, maybe 12.15, because, you know, we've got things we've got to do. Held a, a, uh, the last time we had the men's prayer breakfast here. God gave me great liberty, and I preached for an hour and a half. Many of the churches that attended were helped. There was a lot of men there that were, that were under heavy conviction. They, there were things that, that, that really resonated in them out of the Word of God. 
And I was corrected for that in that it's supposed to be just a quick devotional and that it is, you know, Saturday might be the only day these men have time to get things done around the house. And so we don't want to take up their whole day with this. And it was worded very nicely, but I was corrected by it. So much so that I almost considered saying, no, we're not going to do it again. But we'll see how it goes on the ninth. <laughs> but all that to say, that's where all of that came from. And it's, it's this form of religion that we are dealing with today. And it, it plays right along with the same thing that Paul was dealing with in Galatia at the time. Because this is a transition out of Judaism into the realm of, of the church, the time of the church. And it's not that, that cut and dry, bam, right at that, that point, that's the, that's the new thing, and everything else has passed away, and bam, now it's new. No, there was that transition period of time because of those, those Jews that were alive before Christ died and before he came, and the Jews that were alive after. You know, they lived through that period. Things were very, very different for them. You look at the early church in the book of Acts, that's not how God has designed the church to run today. That was specifically for a time. Even you look at the way, the way Peter preaches. What did he tell the Jews? Repent and be baptized in the name of, the Holy, in, in the name of Jesus for, for the remission of sins. He comes right out and says it's for the remission of sins. Paul had been given those keys. He had been given the liberty. He'd been given the power to bind on earth and to bind in heaven and to retain sins on earth and to remit sins on earth. He'd been given that power by Jesus Christ, and he exercised that in that thing by telling them, no, you believe, you repent, and you get baptized. That's for the remission of your sins. But none of us were there today that, that were there 2,000 years ago. We are not part of those Jews that, that saw that transition time from before and then after Christ. So that is not our way of salvation. You look at Paul's gospel. Paul didn't preach that. What did Paul tell the Philippian jailer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And so, you know, and even in the transition out of that, you know, Peter, Peter hits on those things as well. But all this is, this is all introduction. I knew it was going to go this way, but here we are at any rate. But what Paul is doing is he's likening the law and following the law and following the elements of the law with he's likening that to them following their false gods and following the agencies and powers, the devils, okay? Um, time doesn't permit us to go into that study tonight, but we've done it in the past, wherein we've, we've taken the Word of God and proven that all of those Old Testament gods and New Testament gods are devils, okay? They are, they are devils. The Word of God equates them to the same thing. They sacrificed unto gods, unto devils and not unto God. Okay, in the same verse, it, it's, it says it right there. So you look at, at, at uh, Ashtaroth, you look at um, Molech, you look at all of those, those were devils that were being worshipped. Okay, And so even yet today, those devils are here on this earth. I believe fully Molech still gets his worship in abortion. Fully believe that. And, and those are the things that you know are just here on this earth. Um, and nobody wants to equate that because that's a little too far out. That's, well, that's, that, I, can't, I can't touch it. I can't feel it. I can't, I can't smell it. I can't see it. So it's, it's hard for me to believe that. Well, that's the naturalist way. Okay? Um, that's, a, that's a dangerous way. All right. But well, coming back into this, let's, let's get back in Galatians chapter uh, 4. Oh, he says, and because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out of a father, wherefore... 
Thou art no more, no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And again, like I said, later on in this chapter, we're going to look at that thing of being an heir of God and, and what all that points to. It does point to that promise. Okay? And, and we'll get into that. Howbeit then, verse 8, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Okay? The, he, they were doing service to those things which by nature are no gods. There, there is not any power to them. They have eyes, but they see not. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have hands, but they handle not. Okay? They, 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 don't, they can't think. There, there's nothing to them. It's a dumb idol. Uh, they were led away from that by that idol shepherd. Okay? That not, not I-D-L-E, but I-D-O-L, shepherd. That one that would uh, lead them into idols. Okay? Uh, and I can't remember where in Isaiah it speaks of that. Uh, but verse 9. But now, okay, so how be it then when you knew not God? He says in verse 9, but now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye again desire to be in bondage? Why are you turning back to these things where you desire to be back in bondage of that? There is a liberty in Christ that has broken you from that bondage, and he's going to explain that bondage later on. Uh, in, in chapter 4, dealing with that bondage of the law. But he tells them, why do you desire to be back under that? You've been made free from that. There's no reason for you to go back under the bondage of those elements. And then he says this, you observe days and months and times and years. Again, pointing to that law, pointing to those things that, that you know, you're, you're observing this day and you're observing this month and you're observing this high holy day and, and this thing. And and there's no power to that. But now what we're going to look at is we're going to see Paul connecting those days, months, times, and years with the elements. Okay, go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God specifically tells us what is given for signs and seasons and days and years. Look at verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now what are those lights? The sun and the moon. Those things that divide day and night. Those are the things that were given for those signs. Those are the things that were given to divide all of that out. So that time would be divided evenly. God set that in order. God set that in motion. In that, there is a power to those things. Okay? And in that, we see that there is an element to which you are brought under bondage of those things. And we, we talked about that specifically dealing with that lunatic thing. But it does go farther than that. In the, in the Zodiac, the Maseroth, as it would be called in, in Hebrew, I believe it is. And so he says, you observe days and months and times and years. You're putting yourself back under that bondage. Now, I want you to turn now uh, to Romans 14. We're going to look at this in conjunction. Uh, let's see here, 14 verse 5. And he's dealing with this thing. You know, verse 1 says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. 
Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let ev- and here's the key to this whole thing. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Don't let another man persuade you into what day is holier than another day. When it comes closer to the time of, of Easter, of the resurrection of the Lord, that, that season that we're coming up upon, I'm going to be talking about the day of Christ's crucifixion. Work that timeline out with the Word of God, and I'm going to be presenting that, that he was not crucified on Friday. Okay? That, is, that is based out of the Catholic religion. Okay? And so I'm going to be presenting that. However, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. This isn't something that I'm going to esteem Thursday higher than Friday. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because we are recognizing and remembering our Savior being crucified. The day that it actually falls on, I've seen men get almost into fistfights over that thing. The same thing with Christmas. Well, how do you know it was on December 25th? You know, that was the time of year that the pagans celebrated Saturnalia. Sure enough, it was. It's when I celebrate Christmas. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> Let everyone be fully persuaded in his own mind. Verse 6. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he, he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Okay? And so in that, just be fully persuaded in your own mind. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks about that thing. If it's big enough to you and and God is laying it upon your heart to get this thing figured out, you get in there and you figure that out. Be fully persuaded in your own mind and move on. There's no power in that day. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. If there's any power in any day, it's today. It's this day. We're not promised that we're going to make it to Easter. Okay? And so, back into Galatians 4. I want to talk about these weak and beggarly elements now. Again, like I said, he's he's likening the law and the keeping of the law and the following of the law. He's relating that to them following and keeping those same years and signs and days that they did under their pagan religions, following after those gods. And he's, he's telling them, listen, the Jews are coming in and telling you need circumcision, but it's not profiting you anything. You're not going to profit anything out of that. In fact, as he said, we are all one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. It's, it's done in Christ. And so for you to follow after what the Jews are presenting to you, that's as bad as you going back and following after those years and signs and seasons and times and wonders and all those magical things that you looked after. That thing that you were once in bondage under, Christ has made you free. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 7. I know I'm going a little bit faster tonight, partly because I rambled too much in the beginning, but mostly because there's a lot of things I want to pack together so we can get it all in one session tonight. Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to look at verse 18. 
It says, For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment, going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. So that first commandment, that carnal commandment, that thing that is given in the law, those, those carnal ordinances given in the law, there is a weakness to that in that they could never make a man perfect. All they could really do is prove a man unperfect. And that is still the purpose of the law today. Even up here on this, on this sign, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That is the purpose of the law. And to remove the law from your preaching... To remove the law from your gospel, is to, as I said before, is to remove the only thing that God gave to prove a person that they are lost. You can scare somebody to he- with hell, and you can scare somebody into asking Jesus into their heart, but they're not going to know they're guilty before a holy God until you put them under the law of God. And that's what's missing. And that's why you're getting converts with no change. They're converting to something, but it's not Bible Christianity. And so, carrying on with this, uh, he says that there's a disannulling of that commandment going uh, going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Now, over to Romans 8 and and verse 3. Romans 8, 3. It says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't send him in sinful flesh. He sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh. There, and we'll look at that in the ESV later or in any of the other ones. All right? I'll just make a note of that. And for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. You wonder why I say that? You might be wondering. Because as we've been finding things specifically dealing, like Hebrews 2.14 was a big one that we just noticed just last week or the week before last, in dealing with this thing of, of the carnal nature of man being placed into Jesus, okay, before he was accursed on the tree, the, sin, the sin-stained blood of Adam being in Jesus, modern versions tend to slip that in in key verses like this, all right? And I just want to look at it later and, and see, just see what it says. I, I don't know what it says. It might be fine. Um, but uh, in that, uh, it's, it's a very dangerous thing of those things. And it says, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the spirit, but after the flesh. Or not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there again, showing that that law was weak through the flesh. Your flesh is the reason why that law is weak. If you didn't have the carnal mind, if you didn't have your flesh, if you were, when you were born of God, he created everything brand new, and as soon as somebody was born of God, that glory that's on the inside was shining out on the outside like it's going to be at that day of redemption, then the law could have brought righteousness. But the law can't bring righteousness. The righteousness that, was, that could be had through the law was done away with in Christ. And that's why Jesus said, had I not come, they had not had sin. Speaking of the Pharisees. Why? Because they did everything that the law required. Had they died before Jesus came, those Pharisees would have gone to Abraham's bosom. Because they believed the law of God. They did everything perfectly. Paul bears testimony to that. Paul bears witness to that thing. But because Jesus came, that's the doing away of that thing. That way of salvation 
is no longer applicable. All right. And so just to, to, to follow along in that, it, it, it brings no profit whatsoever. And this is something that the Jews are having a very hard time with in, in this day and in our day today too. But this is why they'll go along and they'll say, no, 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 it's, it's Jesus and you need to have the law. It's Jesus and you need to keep this day. It's Jesus and you can't eat that. It's Jesus and you can't touch that. It's Jesus and you have to... It's not it at all. It's Jesus plus nothing. Elizabeth Brother McVeigh said that the other day on the podcast too, I think. And so, uh, you know, there, those two places specifically show us that unprofitableness, that weakness of the law. Um, again, uh, to, to hit one more final point, I think, on this thing of uh, these elements of the world, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. And I, th- I think this will be the final uh, thing that we're going to look at on this. But Jeremiah 29. Of course, Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel, uh, dealing with uh, you know Judah being carried away captive and, and all these things taking place. In, in, in chapter 29, he deals with this thing. Uh, in the end of the first verse, he said uh, Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon, talking about all those ones that he carried away. And he goes through all the ones that have been carried away, and he prophesies to them and tells them, verse 5, Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and begat sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that she may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where there I have caused you to be carried away captives. Pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. All right? Um, and he, he continues on there. And then he says this, verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams which ye have caused, which ye caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. What we're about to find is the true context of Jeremiah 29, 11. Verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward you in causing you to return to this place. He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, what is that expected end? That 70 years. That expected end is that their captivity was going to end after 70 years, and he was going to bring them back into the land. That was his promise that he gave them. Now you can take that, you can spiritualize that all you want today, but that's the context of it. You see God's character in that thing, but to take that and cross-stitch it on a a pillow that God wants to give you peace and all of this, you're usurping a verse that's really not for you. Okay, Like I said, you see the character of God in that. But be careful when you take things like that and you just spiritualize it. Look at the doctrine of what's being spoken in this thing. What's going on? Who's he writing it to? And all of this. Uh, I do find great peace that God has thoughts Toward me. Okay, that, that's a very peace-giving thing to my heart. Used to be, it, it would terrify me. My God has thoughts toward me. What does he think about me? What does he think of me? And uh, it's a terrifying thing when you don't have Christ. But, going back up to this, he says, you know, uh, don't, don't follow after those that, that hearken unto those dreams and, and that prophesy falsely, those, those ones that give those signs and all of that. And, He's warning against that thing of not looking to those 
those signs and wonders and those false prophets and, and all of that. And today, what do people look to to find their future? Fortune tellers, the Zodiac, all of those things, and there is power in that. But it is a weak and beggarly power. Right? God forbid we, the people of God, and I know not everybody in here is saved, but we, the people of God, would look to those things for guidance. But there are people that do, and they sit in churches all around America, and they'll laugh about it, they'll joke about it, but it's nothing to be messed with. No Ouija boards and all that nonsense. All right? There's devils in that. There's absolutely devils in that. And you're just opening yourself to a world of hurt. All right, let's go back into Galatians chapter 4. Any comments on that? I don't have a sip of water to sip, and this is normally where I would, but... All right, so by way of introduction. That's all right, buddy. He says this in, in verse 11. After going through all that, he says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. What he's saying here is that the Galatians were living as if they were lost. They were claiming that they had found Christ, claiming that they had been born of God, claiming to have this fruit, but now they're turning back to things that are almost proving to Paul that they don't have Christ. He says, I'm afraid of you. He says it a couple of different places. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, I went up by revelation and communi uh, communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He went up and he's, he's trying to confirm these things to prove whether he had run in vain or not. Uh, and then 420, if you turn over to uh, verse 20, he says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul, the man of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was saying, the way you're acting is proving to me that you don't have salvation. You have some form of religion. You have some sort of form of belief. But I don't believe you have the, the Spirit of God. I don't believe you have the Son of God. You've been given something, but it's not the salvation that God gives. And there are so many today that are afraid to preach that to their people because they don't want their whole entire church to realize that they're lost. But yet there are churches out there that the entirety of the church body, including the pastor, are lost. They have a form of religion. They have this, this pattern that they've followed. No matter what roots it began in, they're just form, following a form and a function of pattern. It's just religion. There's no belief involved. If it is belief, it's the same belief that the devils have. They believe in God. Of course they do. They were created by him. They worshipped him at one time. They rebelled against him. They were cast down. There are those devils reserved in chains of darkness tonight. They believe in God. Is there any redemption for them? No. It's a vain belief. There's a difference between believing in Christ and believing on Christ. We've talked about that before. To believe in Christ is to believe that he exists. It, it, it does fall into that thing. If any, man, uh, if any man come to God, he must first believe that he is. Okay, That's the first part. That's believing in God. But believing on God is the second part. And that he's a rewarder of them 
which diligently seek him. That's believing on God. That's believing on Jesus Christ. And I've used the, the example before, and I, it's, it's a safe one. It's, it's a perfectly uh, acceptable example. I believe that there is a man sitting in the seat of the presidency of the United States by the name of Joseph Biden. I believe in Joe Biden. I believe he's a man. I believe I've seen him on TV. I've never seen him in person. Uh, I actually have relatives that are married to some of his relatives. Okay, uh, they don't get along really, but that's it's just the case. Um, so I believe that there's a man named Joe Biden. Now there's conspiracy theories that abound that say, oh, he's he's been there's a body swap that's taken place. It's not actually Joe Biden. You just you do whatever, just be fully persuaded in your own mind, all right? <clears throat> but I don't believe on Joe Biden. I don't believe on, I don't, I don't hold any stake on any of his policies. I don't believe on his leadership. I don't believe on what he claims as far as being a Christian. Because he'll, he'll claim that in the right crowd. I don't believe on any of that. Okay? There's a big difference between believing in and believing on. To believe on Jesus Christ is to believe what he did. And to believe that was effectual for you. That's the belief that God is looking for. That's the belief God wants you to have manifested in you before he will give you saving faith. To make you that heir of promise. Okay, And so in those things, that, that is, that is the, the very big distinction there. But Paul says, I, I'm worried about you. I, I'm afraid of you lest I've labored in vain. All this labor that I've labored, here you are just so quickly being drawn away from the truth into this nonsense. Do you even have the Spirit of God in you to guide you through these things? Modern day soul winning would say, oh, well, they just, they didn't have an opportunity to be discipled. They, they weren't able to be discipled properly, and so they just never grew. And, and that's nonsense. You go, go to 1 John 2. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. And we'll see who does the discipling. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. By the way, this is what is being spoken of to little children. Okay? Those who are babes in Christ. Those newly converted to Christ. This ought to be some of the first things we teach somebody who's born of God. Who just has been born of God. You teach them about the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world. That's what John said. And look at this, verse 20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Present tense. Ye have an unction, and ye know all things. How is that possible? You've got the entirety of the Godhead in you. You've got the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, the entirety of it. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got all of that in there. Are there things you don't understand? Yes, there are. But God gives you understanding. It's not like you're learning something brand new. When the Spirit of God teaches you something, it's an understanding that comes. Ah, that's what that is. You know, we've talked about that before. Verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. So why do we need so many men to teach us discipleship courses? Because they've never seen it work. They've never seen... God teach somebody, most of the time because the Spirit of God is so grieved with the preaching today, correcting his word, doubting his word, changing his word so much that the Spirit of God can't work with that. He cannot work with that. 
But that when the Word of God is being preached and doctrine is being laid out exactly as it's written in the Word of God, the Holy Ghost can use those things. When you get alone with God and your King James Bible, He will teach you. He will teach you. You cannot, you absolutely 100% cannot take a King James Bible, read it for exactly what it says, take it for exactly as it's written, to whom it's written, exactly word for word, letter for letter as it is written. You cannot take that and come up with false doctrine. You cannot do that. False doctrine comes into play when you take this Bible and you say, well, that a better word for that would be. And it says this, but really what he's saying is, it's not the faith of Christ, it's our faith in Christ. And again, I hound on that thing, but that's, that's really the first thing that God really opened our eyes to in this Bible. Galatians 2.16. We're justified by the faith of Christ. And then the preacher says, and so it's your faith in Christ that justifies you. It's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. I'm very excited for Kevin. I can't wait to hear what he comes up with. So, in these things, Paul was worried about them. Go to verse 13, or verse 12, I guess it is now. He says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. He's, he's calling back to mind. He's hearkening back to the time where he first came. He says, I'm worried about you. I'm afraid of you. I don't know if you're born of God. I, I don't know what's going on here. But the way that you're acting, the way that you're living, the things that you're claiming, the things that you're going to, it's proving otherwise. Let's hearken back to when I was there. Let's talk about that time. He says, remember, I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He says, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear ye record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. And in this thing, you know, this kind of, in my heart and in my mind, this settles to me what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. You've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind, and that's fine. But if the Galatians withstood him, they, 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 they were able to take him in with the infirmity of his flesh. And that, that temptation was in his flesh. He says, you despise not nor reject it. They didn't turn him away because of this thing. And if they were willing to pluck their own eyes out and give them to Paul so that Paul had eyes that could see well, where do you think that infirmity of his flesh was? In his eyes. What fell from his eyes when Ananias prayed over him and touched him? Scales fell from his eyes. This is a thorn in the flesh that was given to Paul specifically so that he would not be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelations that Jesus Christ was giving him. Good doctrine to come out of this. If God is going to use you, he's going to give you something to keep you humble. And if that doesn't sound good to you, I, 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 would be, I would stand in doubt of you. All right? Now, I, I don't welcome infirmity of the flesh. I don't welcome that at all. Uh, nobody likes to be sick. Nobody likes to be infirmed. See? 
It's a good word. She still thinks I'm a dork. But long story behind that. It's how we first met and all of that. But this infirmity of the flesh was given to Paul specifically. That, 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 uh, that messenger of Satan to buffet him so that he would not be exalted above measure. And here he kind of equates it to his eyes having an issue. If you believe otherwise, that's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm not going to contend with you. This is just the stand that I'm taking. All right? You don't have to agree with me on that. It's fine. But he says, there was a time where you were very much on board with what I was preaching. You were very much on board with what I was telling you. Verse 16, he says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And herein we get this thing, this idea that these men that were coming in preaching circumcision, preaching the law, preaching all of these things that they had to still keep in order to be born of God, that they were persuading those Galatians to be anti-Paul. They were against Paul. They were, they were speaking and, and begun, their hearts were be, beginning to be turned away from Paul. And so he's just reminding them, listen, there was a time when I came and preached to you, and you were right on board with everything. Everything sounded good. You were, you were 100%. You even cared so much that you would have given me your own eyeballs if it was possible. He says, now, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Because I am telling you the truth. And listen, same thing as what's spoken of is that spirit of Antichrist and the false teachers in 1 John dealing with that thing that the way of truth is evil spoken of. The same thing is happening to Paul here. And this is the way it works. The way of truth is evil spoken of. You take the word of God for exactly as it says and you go stand on a street corner or you go to somebody who's supposed to be religious and you tell them exactly what the word of God says and that way of truth is going to be evil spoken of. Why are you the only person I've ever heard say this? Why, why, can't, why is everybody else wrong and you're the only one that's right? Why is it that you're the only one that I've ever heard say that about the Word of God? Well, I don't know, but that's exactly what the verse says. What am I supposed to do? I, I, again, I don't glory in this thing, but I'm very thankful for it that I don't have a Bible college education. I have a whole lot less that I've got to undo. Got a whole lot less I've got to undo. I'm able to actually just spend some time in the Word of God and spend some time with the Spirit of God and let Him teach me as He promised He would out of 1 John 2.27. And then verse 17, he says this. This is interesting. He says, They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. And I had a hard time with this verse. I really mulled this thing over quite a lot. And I, I, I looked at it and I meditated on it. I studied it over. God and I labored in this thing quite a bit. And what it struck me as is that the word effect is not the way we use it. Which isn't odd because so much of the, the, the English of the King James Bible has the mindset of 1611 and prior. Right? If, if a word was used in a certain way in 1680 or 1725, and that was the first time it was really used that way in literature, in common language. Well, that's not the definition that the King James translators had in mind when they chose that word to perfectly represent that Greek or Hebrew word. And the same thing falls true here with this word effect. Now, an effect is, is something, you know, if, uh, if we were to go outside, the cold air would affect you, would it not? You would, you would get shivers, you would get cold, you stay out there long enough, you're going to get hypothermia, and you're going to die. 
okay? That's how that cold weather out there would affect you. The wind last night affected a lot of things, sent a lot of limbs down, uh, caused an accident, you know, all sorts of things happened because of that. But that's not how this is being spoken of. Think of the word affections, okay? This is the verb form of that word. Think of having affection towards somebody, okay? You're drawn to that one. There is a, there is a certain amount of, of you that wants to be around that one. And it says, they zealously affect you, but not well. In a very zealous manner, these false teachers were getting the, the Galatians to be drawn to them. There was a zealousness in the Galatians. There was a zealousness in those teachers, and those Galatians were drawn to those people. And he says, they zealously affect you, but not well. He says, yea, they would exclude you. They would have you to be excluded, taken out that ye might affect them. They would have you draw out of that church, draw away from the truth, draw away from what God has laid out in his word. They would affect you in that way that you would have affections toward them. So what are these Judaizers trying to do? They're trying to get followers. They're trying to get proselytes. They'll come past land and sea to get one proselyte, Jesus said. And he says, and you make them twofold the child of hell, as what they were. And so in this, they zealously affect you, but not well. Go to uh, Romans chapter 10, and we'll look at this there. Same basic thing being spoken. Romans chapter 10, and verse 1. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. See, those Jews were extremely zealous. You're not going to find a more zealous group of people than the Jews for their Judaism. They put us to shame as far as Christianity goes. The second most zealous people that you'll find for their religion is the Muslims. Then probably the Mormons after that. I mean, they'll go halfway around the world and be a missionary for two years because they think that's part of what's required. They'll ride on bicycles up and down these country roads and go and knock on your door knowing that you're probably going to kick them off their, your porch. They, they know that's going to happen, but they do it very zealously. Okay? But they affect you, but not well. Okay? It's the same type of thing. Continue on, it says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They, they are ignorant of God's righteousness. Why? Because all they know is the righteousness through the law. That's all they know. They don't know the righteousness which is of faith. They don't know that it's the righteousness of God the Father, the righteousness of the Holy Ghost, the righteousness of God the Son. They don't know that that's the righteousness that comes, that you get God's righteousness, the entirety of the Godhead. He gives you his righteousness. Anything less, and you'd still be damned. And so, in this, it points to that thing again, that those Jews are very zealous toward God. And here he's saying, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you. They would, they would cut you out. They would bring you out, that ye might affect them, that you would be drawn unto them. 
that you would, you would have that affection for them. It says this in verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I'm present with you. And here's the key. Paul's telling them, it's good to have zealous affection, but it ought to be more than just when the preacher's in town. You know, you ought to to have a zealousness towards the things of God more often than just when there's a missionary at the church or an evangelist at the church. I hear it. I hear it in the way people pray. I probably do it myself to a certain extent. In fact, I know that I do. And it's a shame unto me that when there's a certain person or a certain group of people or a certain what, I'm more zealously affected. And such a thing ought not to be. That's being a double-minded man. Fully admit it. Am I proud of it? No. Is this something that I'm trying to stop? Well, it's my flesh getting in the way. Listen, can you approach unto God with your carnal mind? No. So if you're carnally affected, and you're trying to come to God with that carnal mind, is God going to receive you? No. If you're doing that for salvation, or if you're doing that saved, and you're trying to come to him for this one thing, you ask and you receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. All right? I've preached James chapter 4 in light of salvation before in that thing. Why can't I get saved? Why, I keep asking God that he'd save me, and there's just, it, it just, I get no assurance, I get no peace, there's no comfort, there's no joy in the Holy Ghost, there's no love, there's no joy. There, there's no, why, why, God, why won't you save me? Well, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. You say you want Jesus Christ, but you really want a home in heaven. You say you want Jesus Christ, but you'd really like your life to get straightened out. You say you want Jesus Christ, but I really just want my marriage to be fixed. I just want this to be taken care of. I just want that. And it's going to God with guile. And he's not going to receive you that way. It's his way or no way. Okay? Um, and we've talked about that with him being the propitiation for our sin. All right. Um, we'll read verse 19, and then I think we'll close it out here. He says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. And we'll close it off there. We'll pick up at verse 19 again next week. Um, Is there any, any closing thoughts or comments on this thing? The main two things that we really hit on tonight was the elements and fully expounding on that, uh, and this thing of being zealously affected. All right. Was there anything else that somebody wanted to comment or bring out? Yes, sir. Modern day application, sure. Yeah. Modern day application of that. Yeah. Yeah. But and the other thing, uh, in verse eighteen, where it was affecting always in a good thing, and that would be sound doctrine. Yeah. Yep. It's it's always a good it's good. It's always good to be zealously affected in a good thing. It's good to be zealously affected in sound doctrine. You know, that good thing. Because what sound doctrine is going to do is it's going to eliminate the need to do what Paul is having to do. 
Sound doctrine can settle all of these things. But the problem is, is you've got professor over here and, and doctor over here and evangelist over here and preacher over here and, and my home pastor and my mom and dad and, and all of these things just chirping all around. All the while, the Word of God says this, but they're all saying that, but that, that's contrary to what this is. And, and can they all be wrong? Yeah, they can. If it's contrary to the Word of God, yep, absolutely. Yep. Because the way of man, it's froward. We found that last night in our study of the word froward. All right? The way of man is froward. And it's, it's, the, the, the froward way is full of, what was it, snares and thorns. Okay? Uh, to be froward, again, this is, uh, just give you a little, a little hint on this. Uh, think to and fro. Okay? Toward something is, is heading toward it. Fro is away from it. Okay? So a froward mind, a froward heart, it's away from God. It's, it's opposite of what God desires. Okay? You find that word uh, used in its various forms 25 different times in your King James Bible. So um, that's good, though. All right. Anything else? We'll close up tonight. No. Theron, do you want to close us in prayer? Good Lord, thank you for this time that we can dig into your word again, Lord. Thank you for the things that you have revealed to us. Lord, I pray that we would continue searching these things out and seeking your will in this and your mind, Lord. Amen.